Welcome to the Michigan Man Podcast on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew for Wolverine fans from coast to coast. Go Blue and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Michigan Hoops writer Orion Sang from the Detroit Free Press will join us in just a moment to share his thoughts on another great run in the Sweet 16. First, a few of my thoughts to get us started. We took the week off last week for a short vacation, and four days of that was watching the NCAA tournament. And I can't think of a better way to spend a vacation either, even if my wife didn't think so. There were so many great games to see. We, of course, did what we needed to do against Montana and Florida to move on. And I don't know about you, but even though we ended up winning both games handily, this team still makes me nervous through all 40 minutes, especially when we go through our extended droughts, and that's usually in the second half of games. But it's happened all year, and we're still standing in the Sweet 16. According to StubHub and other secondary ticket sellers, this Thursday's game in Anaheim will look and feel like a home game for us. We have the late game. It's a 9.25 p.m. tip-off or so, and our opponent is Texas Tech. They are red hot and one of the best defensive teams in college basketball. In our game day segment today, Orion and I discuss Thursday's matchup for both teams, and it's a tough one because we both mirror each other. The two best defensive teams in college basketball with efficient, if not explosive, offenses. Beat writer Orion Sang from the Detroit Free Press joins me next here on The Michigan Man in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Back with us on our game day segment, a gentleman I'm sure all Michigan fans are familiar with. Orion Sang from the Detroit Free Press, great to have you back with us. Good to be back, Mike. Well, Orion, before we look ahead to Thursday in Anaheim and the Sweet 16, which is just going to be incredible once again, let's back it up and talk about what we saw over the weekend in the first round in Des Moines, the play of uh, Charles Matthews, who I'm not sure he's 100%. He says he's not quite there yet, but whatever he is, what a difference he's made and makes when he's on floor. Yeah, and I think it starts all at the defensive end because he can just shut down um, opposing wings and opposing guards, and I'm sure we'll get to it, but that'll be a big, big key uh, in Thursday's game against Texas Tech. And offensively, it looks like he's maybe rounding back into form. I, I mean, I thought he was pretty aggressive off the dribble, and that's sort of a sweet spot, you know, when he's getting to the rim, dunking, finishing hard drawing fouls like that that's when he's at his best well i suppose we weren't surprised or aren't surprised anymore at the elite level of play we're seeing from xavier simpson and you know other than a few turnovers i think there were five maybe not all of his in the first half of the game on saturday he has been just incredible hasn't he yeah yeah that that thursday game against montana i think um their, their ball screen defense they were really aggressive in sending two defenders at him um, and I think that resulted in a, a few turnovers that were maybe uncharacteristic. But otherwise, he was outstanding in those both games. I think I'm, I'm looking at the stats. He combined for 19 assists over two games. And that really just, I mean, that's that's when he's at his best, you know, working on the ball screen game, finding open guys. Um, I thought his connection with John Teske against Florida was really key, especially in that first half. And he just keeps raising his level. Uh, I know the coaching staff, Coach Beeline, has talked about it more in the last few days about how mentally tough Xavier Simpson is, and that sets him apart from uh, a lot of players or most players that Coach B has uh, been around, which is saying a lot, isn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, this team takes on the mentality of, of Xavier and Charles. Um, this team is built in their image. It's molded by them. Uh, they they are the clear, unquestioned leaders on this team, and everyone listens when they have something to say. And I think that's why this team has had the success it's had. It's because of Xavier and Charles. Well, I have to admit, uh, watching, well, really watching since January and then in the opening round, Jordan Poole just, he drives me crazy a lot of the time with his shot selection. But the reality is we need him to be aggressive. And when he's hitting, uh, this offense is so much more dangerous, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, so Michigan needs him to be aggressive and to be finding the type of shots that won't drive John Beeline crazy, I guess is the best way to put it. And I think he did that in both games. I think in Florida, I think the key for him was he didn't settle for you know a lot of those step-back threes that, that we've become accustomed to maybe, um, especially against Michigan State when these two teams play. Uh, but um, he was really good at, I think there was that one sequence to open the second half where he found Teske down low. And then uh, I think he pump faked and then drove in and then drew the foul and finished through contact. That's the complete version of Jordan Poole. You know, it's not just the outside shooting. It's his, um, his ball handling, his creation, his playmaking ability. I think that's the best possible version of Jordan Poole and the, the version that Michigan needs going forward. So for Michigan fans, that was encouraging to see him have a good game like that. Yeah, it was. Um, the other guy that just uh, keeps blowing me away is Big John Teske. He has risen to the occasion all year and thus far in the uh, tournament. And to me, I mean, I'm sure other people have their own opinion to me, he's the straw that stirs the drink, especially on the defensive end, Orion. Yeah, I think um, towards the end of the first half, Michigan did something that it doesn't really do that often. Um, it switched every screen, and Teske actually stayed in front of, I think, a couple of Florida's guards. Um, and he did really well there. And, I mean, that that's, sort of speaks to the trust they have in him on defense. He's kind of the anchor. Um, everything they do kind of revolves around him in that he's able to hedge hard on ball screens, he's able to recover down low, um, and, and he's just really good at protecting the rim. He's a he's an excellent player. He's blossomed a lot, and I think basically the key for him going forward will be he has to stay on the court. You know, he, he can't get into foul trouble against Texas Tech. As we've watched him develop during the season and was mentioned on the telecast over the weekend, is on those ball screens and on those switches and how well he really moves his feet for a big man, much better than I think uh, we ever expected he would be able to. Right, that, that's the key, is because if other teams are switching screens and, and Michigan is sort of struggling to, to beat the big man off the dribble, um, another avenue would be to dump the ball down on the Teske in the post because he's, he's got a size advantage over the guard that's switched on to him. Um, they haven't really done that consistently or frequently um, when they face defenses that switch screens, but it could be something to watch for Thursday because Texas Tech has capability to switch screens. Um, they've got a center who's really good defensively who can do that. So um, an easy source of points could be finding Teske down low uh, in the post. And what about the uh, the play of Iggy uh, last weekend in two games? I mean, he, he sort of struggled, and I'm not worried about that. The thing I do like is that this team can win without him being, as he's their leading scorer, as him being red hot. Yeah, I, I think he struggled a little bit against Florida. Um, their defense is pretty solid. They, they've got some length. They've got some guys who can really guard, and he had to foul, uh, foul trouble as well. Um, I don't know. Like with Iggy, he, he's really talented offensively, and he's the leading scorer, obviously, in everything there. But I don't know if he's a, really necessarily, as you as you said earlier, he's not the straw that stirs a drink. I think that would be Xavier. Xavier's just the guy on offense. Um, he's always got the ball. Michigan's asking him to do everything, basically, out of the ball screens and find open open players, open teammates for shots. 
Um, so when Iggy's on, that adds like a, a really great dimension to Michigan's offense, of course, and, and you'd rather have him be on the off. But I think it's the key is really Xavier Simpson and, and his play in, uh, on offense. Well, and the offense uh, for most teams is what it is this time of the year. I mean, you might get hot in the tournament, but your basic offense is, is what it is. Uh, and what we've seen all year are these periods of extended droughts, uh, which have concerned me all along. And sometimes over the weekend, I would watch and say, how many times can we get away with this uh, without getting burned? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess they can get away with it against every team. Besides Michigan State is what we found out up to this point. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, that's that's something that everyone has noticed over the year, over the season, is, is these droughts that seem to happen um, at some point every game. A lot of the times they happen in the second half. They're not early, early part of the second half. Um, obviously, there's some in the first half, too. Uh, to be honest, I think that's something you might see Thursday just because of how good defensively Texas Tech is. But the key for Michigan will be, obviously, on defense. Um, Michigan can get away with those droughts if the defense on the other end isn't really giving up a lot of points. And that's what bit them against Michigan State is that when they were having their long droughts on offense, Cassius Winston was at the other end, you know, scoring nearly every trip down the floor. Um, so I think Michigan, when that does happen, it just needs to buckle down defense and make sure that it doesn't, you know, give up a big run or anything like that. And despite those droughts, Orion, which do, you know, concern us all and, and should, when you sit back and digest the numbers this year as compared to last year, when we made it to the national championship game, this offense is actually more productive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the ceiling for this offense, um, it can be high. I mean, you've seen what Michigan looked like against North Carolina and Purdue um, when it's firing on all cylinders. I guess the key would be finding that. I'm not sure if Thursday's game is really the best you know, situation to do that, given how good Texas Tech is. But um, I'm still kind of waiting for that. It seems like every year Michigan has that one game in a tournament where they just blow another team out of the water. I mean, last year was Texas A&M. I'm still waiting for that game this year. We'll see if they have a chance to get to that um, after Thursday. But I'm still waiting for that type of breakout performance where they just shoot, like everything they shoot goes in and, and they blow a team out. Yeah, we haven't seen that yet. You're right. And uh, I would welcome that uh, <laughs> anytime. This Thursday would be good. Uh, with us on our game day segment this week is Orion Sang from the Detroit Free Press talking Michigan hoops and, of course, about the Sweet 16 uh, coming up later this weekend. We know Thursday night we get Texas Tech. It's a late game. I think is, it, is it 9.25 Eastern time tip-off, uh, Orion? Yeah. Something yeah. like that. Around around there, I think. Yeah, like 9.30, something like that. And so it's the number one and two defenses in college basketball facing off. A lot of people have been writing it'll be the first team to 55 uh, points that wins this game. But whatever, it's going to be a grinder with teams that play defense like this, isn't it? I wrote a little bit about it, I think, yesterday, and I wrote more about it today. But the key, I think, for Michigan is uh, you, you absolutely cannot have wasted possessions. Um, Michigan leads the nation in zero turnovers per game. That basically is going to have to stand because Texas Tech is very good at creating turnovers, um, one of the best in the nation at doing so. I think they force like over 15 per game, and their turnover rate on defense is like, 23.1%, so they force turnovers on 23.1% of possessions. Michigan cannot afford to have a sloppy game. I mean, with, with how good Texas Tech's defense is, Michigan needs to value every single possession. Um, it, it can't give anything up a transition because that could be a backbreaker in this game. And I think like uh, myself, a lot of Michigan fans have not seen much of Texas Tech uh, this year. In all honesty, uh, Sunday against Buffalo was the first time that I had seen them play an entire game 
and I was impressed. They're long, uh, they're athletic. What do you think the key matchups are in that game, Orion? Uh, the big matchup is uh, Charles Matthews on Jarrett Culver. I'm, I'm assuming Michigan will uh, mirror Culver with Matthews. Culver is uh, their best player. He does everything for them. Um, he's a he's a wing. I think six six. He's supposed to be an NBA draft pick this spring, uh, a high lottery pick. He's really really good. Uh, he's super athletic. He can create his own shot. He can get to the rim. He's not the greatest three point shooter, but um, the rest of his game is just so filled out. He uh, he assists his teammates. He creates for them. He distributes. He's just a very, very solid offensive player, and it really comes down to slowing him down on offense. And as far as uh, from the perimeter game, they're, they're not a great three-point shooting team, are they? Yeah, they're not a great. They're at 36.6% on the year, which is decent. Um, it's it's probably a top 20% in, in college basketball. Uh, they Like Culver, as I mentioned before, is not the greatest three-point shooter, but they've got some guys um, who, if you leave them open, are going to make you pay. Uh, that point guard Moretti is at like 45%. Yeah. Mooney, the graduate, the graduate transfer from South Dakota, he's at like 38%. Um, they got a couple guys off their bench who are over 40%. I think the key for Michigan is um, you have to watch the off-ball stuff because when when Culver has the ball, there may be I don't know this this thought or reaction to to overcompensate, maybe overhelp there. Um, you can't do that. You just have to let you have to trust Matthews. You have to, you can't leave shooters open on the wing. Um, you've got to stick with your man on the wing from outside. I think that's the key for uh, the supporting cast, especially with Moretti and Mooney, because those guys are really good three-point shooters. If you leave them open, they're going to make they're going to make you pay. Do you think this is a good matchup? Or Michigan matches up well against these guys, though? I I don't know. I've been going back and forth. I I think this might be one of those games where neither team really matches up that well against each other. Um, Texas Tech they do have the ability to switch screens. They've got the center Tariq Owens, who's uh, pretty athletic. He has a monster block rate. He's really good defensively, um, and and they're capable of switching screens. Which, as we've talked about before, and as we've seen this season, it's kind of Michigan's kryptonite. So we'll see uh, what happens there Thursday. Honestly, though, I'd probably call it a wash. Um, I don't I don't know if anyone has a significant advantage. Texas Tech has probably the best player on the floor, but Michigan. I mean, they have Charles Matthews, who's an elite on ball defender, one of the best in the country. So it's not like Michigan is lacking in that department either. Um, it, it's just a it's a matchup between two teams who are very, very similar, I guess is what I'll say, um, which should make for a very tight, uh, low-scoring game. Well, and if we get by Texas Tech on Thursday, most observers think Gonzaga will be the opponent on Saturday. Looking ahead, and mm-hmm. of course, yes, we do have to get by Texas Tech, but how do you think we match up with Gonzaga? Gonzaga is the best offensive team in the country. Michigan's the best defensive team in the country, or second best. Um so I don't know. It'll be a battle of strength versus strength. I've seen some Gonzaga this year. Uh, they're really deep and they're really well balanced. Um, they've got uh, Hachimura, the Japanese player at power forward. He's pretty physical. Um, he's not really going to take you from outside. He's not going to shoot too much from deep, even though he is averaging 43% on like 32 attempts in a season. He's more of a inside post presence. I'm not sure. Like this is looking ahead, obviously, but I'm thinking about that matchup. And I'm thinking Michigan would probably counter with Brasdakis there or Livers when Livers is on the floor, just because of Hachimura's body type. Um, he compares kind of like to an Eric Pascal type in terms mm-hmm. of physicality. He's like six eight, two thirty. I mean, the rest of the roster they're all really experienced. Like Brandon Clark is this six uh, eight guy who can really shoot from outside. He's really good at defense. They've got uh, Zach Norvell, who's a pretty aggressive guard. Uh, they're a really balanced team. I guess that's what I'll say. They're really balanced on offense, and that 
is one where Michigan might need more out of, out of its offense to keep up. But we're looking ahead here, so yeah, exactly. who knows? It could, it could also be it could also be a rematch with Florida State for all we you know. Florida oh, yeah. State looks like a pretty dangerous team. I, I think the one cool thing about this year's tournament is that although there weren't that many upsets, now we're going to get a chance to see you know like the, the country's top teams battle it out. I mean, these teams have been you know really good all season long, and, and they're going to play each other now, and I think that's a, it's going to be a treat for fans. Oh, absolutely. And just uh, out west where we are, of course, uh, we have the Texas Tech game on Thursday. Gonzaga and uh, Florida State, a lot of the analysts, and again, I have not seen a lot of Florida State this year, but it seems like a lot of people that see a lot of college basketball think they might be one of, if not the most athletic team left in the tournament. Yeah, they've got um, some really, really talented athletes. Uh, I might butcher some of these pronouncements. So I'm just probably going to stick away from trying trying to <laughs> attempt it. But they, they've got a couple of big men um, who, are, who are really good defensively from what I was watching. They, they crashed the boards hard. Um, both were on the team last year. Their backcourt, they brought back. I mean, it, it's almost pretty much the same team from last year, I guess is the best way to put it. They, yeah. they really brought back every piece except for uh, – they did bring back every piece, basically, yeah. So um, it's that would be the type of game where – I think the key would be to keep them off the offensive glass. I think defensive rebounding would be very important against Florida State, much like it was last year. Well, there is so much to look forward to this weekend. That's why we love this time of the year and love the tournament. And three teams from the Big Ten are in the Sweet 16. Iowa could have easily made it uh, number four. Um, they should have should have had that, I thought, against uh, Tennessee. That was a great game, though, wasn't it? Yeah, I actually missed a lot of it. Um, I missed the first half when it went down big, and I missed uh, some of that 25-point comeback. I caught the end. I was a little disappointed. Um, I think they kind of fell flat in overtime. Mm-hmm. I was wondering. Um, I was wondering if maybe he should have called timeout when I went down three or five. I think he called timeout when I went down seven. I think it was like yeah. two and a half minutes left or two minutes and twenty seconds left. Yeah. At that point, I don't know what what you can really do. Um, I don't know. I, I thought I really thought they'd be able to pull it out. They they did play really well down the stretch, um, but tough one for Iowa for sure no absolutely and again it would have been really nice to have four teams in the Sweet 16 for the Big Ten Uh, the Spartans of course have LSU on Friday and could possibly see Duke on Sunday in the East Finals and if that happens you know again they have to get past LSU but you know I think the Spartans have a good chance against Duke because to me I know they're a great team they have great athletes and the great freshmen they still look beatable they can be beat Yes, it's one game where I think the matchups there, there's some favorable matchups for either side. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I, for one, I don't know. If, I don't think Michigan State really has anyone that can match up with Zion. I don't think really any. <laughs> there aren't many teams in the country that can really say they do, but I think Michigan State uh, is one that really doesn't. I think you saw Goins struggle with Brasdakis um, when those two teams played, and and uh, Goins is really, I guess, if you look at the starting lineup, he's really the guy who compares closely to Zion in terms of physicality. He's like, in, in terms of body type, Henry is kind of lanky and, and not really, I don't know if he's going to be strong enough to guard Zion in, in case those two teams do play. Um, I, I do think Matt McQuaid on R.J. Barrett could be a favorable matchup for Michigan State. I think McQuaid would be able to limit Barrett maybe into a poor game. And then for Duke, they do have a really good defensive point guard in Trey Jones. So Trey Jones on cash just would be a fun matchup to watch. I think that's a game most people are hoping to watch. I think that'd be a heck of a game between two really, really good teams. There's so many great matchups and possibilities uh, next week with the Sweet 16, so it's going to be another great weekend, or four days of college basketball. 
It's also spring practice, so Ryan, so for football. So I wanted to switch gears and ask you a few questions about that before we let you go. It appears Josh Gaddis uh, is really going to be given the keys uh, to the kingdom, so to speak, this year. If that is the case, and I think a lot of us are waiting until September to see that, uh, what a shift in philosophy from Coach Harbaugh. Yeah, I think it's really notable and remarkable that Harbaugh decided to turn it over to Gaddis. Um, that's something that we really haven't seen here at Michigan or, or really anywhere else. Uh, he's always had the final input. He's always had the final say. I, I, I mean, we won't really know how this works until the season comes here. So right now we're taking everything they say at face value. Um, but everything they said is like, oh, I, I, I hired Josh Gaddis to, to give him the offensive coordinator job, to give him input. And Gaddis says, I took this job because I wanted to be the offensive coordinator. I wanted to have input. So we trust them based on what they say until they prove us wrong or if they prove us wrong. Um, I think the interesting thing that Gaddis said was that uh, Michigan is the no-huddle team, is what he said. Um, that could be interesting because one of the things I thought that the offense could have improved on last year was sort of varying tempo. I think at times um, it could have benefited the offense if they had the ability to go faster. There were some botched uh, two-minute drills uh, throughout the season that I think we all saw. Uh, so I think Adding the ability to go fast will be key for this offense. I'm really interested to see how that works. Well, it's, it's a very different from what we've seen the first four years under uh, Coach Harbaugh as far as if it, or on offensive pace and philosophy. And for one thing, it sounds like the players have really bought into it and really think it's a fun offense to run. Yeah, yeah, it does. I think they're like I think they're excited, um, and they're also a little unsure of what the final product would be because when we talked to them last. Um, they had just had their third practice, and I can't remember if they said they had a full contact practice yet. I'm not sure. Um, so they're still installing everything. He wants to have the playbook installed. I think by the end of spring is the, is the hesitant or hesitant timeline he gave. So so we'll see there. Michigan does have a team that's very suited towards being more explosive. Is the word I would say. They have a really talented and deep receiving core. Uh, they got some tight ends who can catch the uh, catch the ball. They've got a decent offensive line, and I think the most important piece here is uh, they've got a returning quarterback in Shea Patterson who's pretty good. We will see what the offense looks like. Yes, we will. And uh, as we know, spring practice has just started, and really we all know you don't find out too very much uh, during spring ball, but has there been anything, any news that you've heard so far that's sort of coming out of camp that sort of caught your attention, Orion? I guess personnel-wise, the first one that stuck out to me was Ben Mason, <laughs> that they're trying him at a lot of different positions. I think that sort of speaks to a couple things, because when they say that they're trying to find more time for him on the field, it's presumably because Michigan might use the fullback less often, um, and that's a hint at what the offense may look like or what the offense might be shifting toward. Um, so that's interesting there. Uh, and then I think the other note would be that they're trying him at Defensive tackle, I think three-tech defensive tackle is what they said, defensive end. Um, defensive line is an interesting unit and, and one that I would monitor because it's kind of shallow in terms of depth at this point, especially on the interior. So if they're trying him inside, that's probably a sign that, they, that they're trying to find guys who can play, uh, trying to build out the rotation there. So those are two interesting things I took away from that one. Uh, the other one, I think, is they said that the offensive line is a strength of the team. Gattis said that. And, uh, I mean, it has a chance to be. I think it was really, it was really uh, improved last year. It was much improved. They bring back four starters, and most importantly, they bring back Ed Warner for year two. 
I think if things go right there, that could really become an area of strength, which really hasn't been the case during Harbaugh's time here at Michigan. Well, in the coming weeks, we're going to have a lot more time to talk about football. I don't know how much we'll learn uh, coming out of camp, but we'll talk about it more. So last question for you, Orion. Uh, there were a few stories over the weekend regarding Chris Evans, and I think a lot of us have been trying to uh, to figure out what's going on there with his situation, uh, and most of us are unclear as to what happened with him. But it sounds like there is still a chance he could be reinstated, Orion. Is that your understanding right now of the situation? Uh, yeah, Harbaugh, I think, uh, said... So the question was posed in, in that, does does Chris have a chance to get back on the team? And Harbaugh was like, yeah. Um, he didn't really say much further. He just said, yeah. Um, so we'll see. Um, it's kind of a murky issue in that we're not really sure of what happened. Um, Chris himself tweeted out that it's academic-related, so we'll see. I don't know if it was a team ruling. I think this may have been like a university type deal. So any appeal would have to go through um, maybe like a dean. I don't know, something like that. I'm, I'm sort of uh, trying to predict it here. Um, but if they think he has a chance to get back on the team, I mean, it sounds like he's he's working his way towards that. I read Angelique's story. It was very well done. It does sound like he's trying. So I wouldn't really shut the door on a return yet because it sounds like both parties are open to a return. So we'll, we'll just have to see. Uh, I guess the one thing would be if anyone is penciling him in onto the death chart next year, mm-hmm. um, safe move is probably to hold off on that until something more concrete happens because the timeline for that is, is pretty unknown right now for any potential return. With us uh, today on our game day segment has been Orion Sang from the Detroit Free Press who covers uh, Michigan basketball and Michigan football. Of course, Michigan basketball on our minds this week with the Sweet 16 so, uh, again, we enjoy having you on with us, Orion, and uh, hopefully in the next week or so, um, maybe if there's a Final Four, which is uh, really thinking ahead, we can get you back on and talk about that. But as always, appreciate having you on the show. Yeah, sounds good. Always a pleasure, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Quick Hits is next as we wrap it up for another week here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. On Quick Hits today, the University of Michigan women's basketball team saw its season come to a close with a 71-50 loss to top-seeded Louisville in the second round of the NCAA tournament on Sunday afternoon inside the KFC Yum Center. Juniors Akeenra Johnson, 12 points, and Kayla Robbins, 10 points, came off the bench to lead the team offensively, while freshman Amy Dilk filled the box score with 4 points, 7 boards, and 5 assists. Michigan finished the season with a 22-12 record, the third most wins in a season in school history, so congratulations to Coach barnes Rico and her team on a great season. In softball news, sophomore left-handed pitcher Megan Bobian threw 20.2 scoreless innings in route to three wins and a save in U of M's games against Western Michigan and Nebraska last week. She tossed a pair of one-hitters against the Cornhuskers. She was two outs away from a perfect game in the finale. Bobian posted 31 strikeouts, including a season-high 13 against Western, and allowed just eight hits and one walk, holding the opposition to a .114 batting average. We have a midweek game with CMU up there, then head to Rutgers 4-3 this weekend. We are 19-10 overall, 3-0 in Big Ten action. 
Baseball has a busy week. On Wednesday, San Jose State is in town for a doubleheader. Then this weekend, we get Big Ten play underway with three against the Spartans. We are 15-7 and seven to start the season. Wrestling capped off another great year, finishing fifth in last weekend's NCAA championships. Penn State was once again the national champion, and Ohio State finished second. Spring football, as we all know, is underway. Coach Harbaugh is happy with how his team is working, and the only real news so far has been affirmation that Josh Gaddis will indeed be calling the plays, and for the most part, will be running a no-huddle offense this year. And we'll spend more time talking about football in the coming weeks after basketball is over. If you get the show from iTunes, please take a minute to rate or comment on the program. It really does help us a lot, and we thank you in advance. That will do it for another show. Enjoy Thursday's game with Texas Tech, and let's hope we make it to a Saturday showdown with the winner of Gonzaga and Florida State. Have a great Wolverine week, everyone. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Until next time, take care, and as always, go blue. Thanks for joining us today on The Michigan Man here on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Our listener lines are open 24-7 for your calls at 313-263-4842. That's 313-263-4842. Or email us at themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. That's themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. The Michigan Man Podcast is produced at the studios of Robin Lynn Productions, Allen Park, Michigan, and is not affiliated with the University of Michigan. Go Blue!